0: So here we are, back for our spring study, and we're going to be in 1 Peter. How exciting. Um, And I see new faces, which I'm excited about. Um, We are so glad y'all are here. Um, This is a great place to come and study God's Word weekly. And um, I'm about to kind of break a rule of teaching and lecturing. Um, I'm about to use an inside joke. And it might not be funny to any of y'all because it would have required you to have been here or listened to my lecture from last semester. Um, In November, I ran the New York City Marathon. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The the inside joke is that, uh, the uh, the joke I told in my lecture last semester was, the hardest part about running a marathon is fitting it into every conversation. So, (laughs) I'm going to continue that trend. I get to lecture one more time this spring, too, so get excited. Um, And you can go back and listen to my lecture, and then we can all laugh. Hashtag mom jokes. Okay. Um, I I finished my first marathon. I don't think it's my last, um, but it's certainly my most expensive because after the race, um, I didn't know what this was at the time, but I suffered from severe dehydration. And... um, We had to go to the ER twice, the week after the race, and one time by ambulance. And that ambulance ride was in New York City. My mother and my 10-year-old daughter were with me and joined me in the fantastic ambulance ride to the closest ER next to our brunch spot. Um, uh, The unique thing about my experience, though, is that my mother is a nurse of almost 40 years. And not just any kind of nurse. uh, She's a cardiothoracic nurse practitioner and knows the human heart just inside and out. So as the echoes are being read and tests are being given, and I'm literally, um, as the echoes are being read and the tests are being given, I'm literally sitting next to an authority on the subject of hearts. Um, she's given permission to read the test results, and before we have even seen the ER doctor, y'all, she has sent my results to two two uh, brilliant heart surgeons in Tennessee that she just has on speed dial, because they're her friends. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing to watch. I mean, as scary as the situation was, I've I've never been cared for like that by my mom. I've been cared for, certainly, but like, it was just awesome. Um, So on top of that, there's also not a doubt in my mind about my mother's unconditional love for me. So here I am at my most vulnerable, um, being loved and cared for by someone who loves me immensely and wants nothing but the best for me. And who has the knowledge and authority to address my condition. Um, it, it would have been fine if my mother was just there and loving me. But, like, it, it wasn't really enough. Like, it, it was amazing the authority that she has. I mean, if you've seen a heart echo, it's like reading Chinese. Like, I don't know what this says. And she's just like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Great. Anyway, all of my children are going into medicine. Okay, Uh, so what does this have to do with Peter? You might want to know by now. Uh, Peter is about to give his readers some news. It's amazing news, Uh, though some of it is going to be a bit hard to swallow because of their circumstances. They are suffering. Um, I want you to understand this morning, though, that you can trust Peter's words because Jesus, the one who loves you unconditionally and immensely, loves Peter. And Jesus, the ultimate authority on our condition, gave Peter, who suffers our same nature, but was called and named an apostle. He gives him the authority to speak the truth of the gospel into our hearts and minds. Uh, you are in good hands, so to speak, trustworthy hands. But how do I know this? Well, the Bible gives us beautiful insight into Peter's life. And this morning, as we introduce First Peter, I really want us to take a look at some of those moments. Um, And y'all, there are many. I would encourage you to seek out and read them for the first time or read them for the thousandth um, so that our hearts can be assured that when Peter tells us how to hope, love, and live in the midst of suffering and needles our hearts with what holiness looks like, he is not coming from a holier than now seat of judgment. We are hearing from a man who knows what humble, broken repentance looks like, what suffering looks like, what doubt and fear and tiredness and not knowingness look like because he has walked all of those paths. Peter is a mess, just like we are. But we trust Peter. Why? Because Jesus, the one who loves us unconditionally and has all authority, uses Peter to show us himself. And we're going to just take three small ways um, to see how he does that in Peter's life. And this is all on your outline we're going to look at um, three things. We're going to look at how Jesus names Peter, Jesus equips Peter, and how Jesus loves Peter. And I want to commend to y'all, um, if you're wanting something to read along, just this book, um, Michael Card, he wrote the song El Shaddai. Remember El Shaddai? For those of us who are old enough to know that song. Um, uh he wrote that book. He's a guy in Nashville. Um it's called a fragile the fragile stone, the emotional life of Simon Peter. It's just a really easy sweet read. Um it's not it won't take you very long. Um but I, I do commend it. It's a great way to kind of touch on um the humanity of Peter and um anyway. Um that's my rec. Uh okay. So let's look at Jesus names Peter. We're going to be in Matthew and we're Skipping all over, you're more than welcome to look up these verses, but I'm going to read them so you can listen along. Oh, and the second sheet that I gave you is from that Michael Card book, and I just loved his little, part of his introduction were just some fun facts about Peter, which I think is really great, and the best one is about his um, Galilean accent, which would have sounded harsh to Judeans, so I'm looking forward to the lecturer who kind of hits on that later this uh, semester. I'd like to maybe hear what a Galilean accent sounded like. (laughs) Anyway, curious. Okay, so Jesus names Peter from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. "'Immediately they left their nets and followed him. "'And going on from there, he saw two brothers, "'James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. "'In the boat was Zebedee, their father, "'mending their nets, and he called them. "'Immediately they left the boat and their father "'and followed him.'" Y'all, Simon was a Jewish fisherman of little to no significance, an ordinary man doing very ordinary things for his time and culture. It is really quite incredible to think about the mundaneness of this situation. He is just fishing. He's making a living. Um, Scholars believe that Simon already knew Jesus and had followed him for a little bit already. You kind of get a feel for this in John's account, but came back to his work on the sea. It is Jesus who sees Simon and calls him to himself. It is Jesus who renames him Peter. In John's account... ...of the disciple meeting Jesus. It's his brother Andrew who has to go and get Simon Peter. Simon is not looking for Jesus. Jesus looks for him. Why? Because he loves him. And we see in this scene... ...something somewhat similar to what we experience in the Old Testament. Who else do we know that gets a new name in the Old Testament? Abraham. This is Old Testament language, friends... This Jesus isn't a new force on earth. He's the same old God who's always been and always will be. And he knows Peter and he calls Peter. So when Peter tells us in chapter 1 verse 2 of First Peter that the Christians he's writing to are also known according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he has experienced this for himself, being seen and known in the middle of the mundaneness and brokenness of this world. Peter knows that God knows exactly who these people are, exactly what is happening to them in their lives, and it is he who will call them or name them because he loves them. And like them, he loves you, and he will equip you. The same old God who's always been and always will be, the same God who comes looking for Peter, is the same God who comes and looks for you. This God will also equip You like he equips Peter. Jesus equips Peter for what he is meant to do. Um, In our culture, and y'all all all know this, uh, you cannot get a job without a resume, right? You gotta you gotta build a resume and send it in. Uh, What does a resume do? Well, it lets the company or person with whom you're applying know whether or not you are capable of doing the job that they need done. Easy peasy, right? That's the whole purpose of a resume. Um, now you can pad your resume and try to fake it till you make it, but sooner or later it will become clear whether or not you are qualified for what the company or person has asked you to do. This is this is not uh, rocket science. Um, God's economy, though, turns this notion on its head for Simon Peter, and it's astounding. This is from Matthew chapter sixteen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of um, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Way to go, Peter! (laughs) Peter knocks it out of the park with this answer to Jesus' question. Well, no wonder Jesus wants to build his church on Peter. Yes, he knows who he is. He has got this right. Resume looks good. We are so happy for him. Okay, well, let's just go down a few more verses. From that time, Jesus began to show, this is verse 20 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, "Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you." But he turned to Peter, but he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan. You are hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Um, get behind me, Satan. Um, it's good for a cup. Okay. Um, wrong answer, Peter. You are not the guy for this job. I mean, give me a break. You've already said he's the Christ. Just nod your head and agree that he has to die and be raised again. Um, Instead, Peter's foot goes right in his mouth, and it becomes really clear really fast that Peter isn't capable of doing the job that needs doing, i.e. starting the church. But let's go back to these verses um, in 13 through 15. What does it say? What does Jesus really say? He says... I will build my church. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Peter gets the job in spite of his humanity, his incapableness, because it is the most capable one who will be doing the building. It is the one with the perfect resume who will give Peter the keys to the kingdom. All he needs to begin this mission of church, the gathering and discipling of Christ's followers, is Christ himself, and he has him. So that's why Peter, who knows his own uncapableness, can include us all in this mission. And when he exclaims in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 4 through 5, he says this, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ. It is Christ who equips Peter. It's Christ who equips the believers he's writing to, and it's Christ who equips us. It's not our spiritual resumes that build the kingdom of God. It is Jesus Christ Himself who does the work. And we can trust that He is still at work, always, even in our successes and in our failures, and in our sufferings. Y'all, it is God's commitment to us, his presence with us. That is his equipping us. Peter is equipped for the task he's given. The believers he writes to are equipped, and you are equipped because God is committed to you, and he is with you. Um, And he is with you, and he's with Peter, and these believers that Peter writes to for one simple reason. He loves you. He loves Peter and he, he loves um, these Christians in the first century here's a question for you to take home and I'm moving into the Jesus loves Peter point of our lecture um, and ask around the dinner table tonight or the next time you're in a group maybe out for some drinks It'll be a real cl- crowd pleaser I promise um, what does God's love look like what does God's love look like I'm sure the convo will be exciting um And then you can ask, uh, what does our love for God look like? You might get some crickets. Um, You want to know what Peter's love for God looks like? This is from John 18. This is after Jesus is arrested. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this disciple's man of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. In the moment that mattered most, the moment where knowledge and faith and trust should culminate, The moment where Simon Peter's love for Jesus should come pouring out, it doesn't. Fear and doubt, and I would argue even hate, take over. Y'all, men on the battlefield have done more for each other than Peter does here for the living Christ. Mothers and fathers, I imagine just this morning, have sacrificed more than Peter does for Jesus. It is a crushing moment. Not that Peter could change the outcome of Jesus' impending crucifixion, But geez, maybe at least he's just not alone while he dies. Like maybe his best friend, his brother, the only other guy to walk on water, maybe he goes with him. Too much to ask? I don't think so. This is the reality of what Peter's love for God looks like tangibly. It's fickle and fair-weathered. And I would bet that we are not much different. I would love nothing more than to stand up here and tell you that I would do it differently. I wouldn't deny Jesus. But, y'all, my life tells a different story. And and this is so embarrassing and pathetic. But I cannot even read the story of Jim Elliott without getting frustrated. Why was he in the jungle to begin with? Why did he have a wife and daughter if he wanted to go to the jungle? These are my thoughts when I read the testimony of Jim Elliott dying for the sake of the gospel. That's what's inside my heart. It's embarrassing. But here's the good news. And here's the news that kills me every time and grounds me and heals me and restores me and reminds me that all is not lost. Do you want to know what God's love looks like? Let's read John 21. When they had, And this is after the resurrection. When they had finished breakfast... Peter denies Jesus in a moment of fear and doubt. His fickle heart is revealed, and yet Jesus's love for Peter remains steadfast and unchanged. This is divine love. I'm not sure what the bigger miracle here is—that <laughs> the Jesus who's talking, eating, and engaged with Peter, engaging with Peter was crucified and died three days ago. <laughs> Or that Peter's outright denial of him didn't and doesn't and won't ever fracture Christ's love and commitment to Peter in any way. It's sobering to my heart. Yet this is the love of Christ, the love of God. This is what Peter discovers at breakfast. And this is what he shares to suffering Christians in the first century and what he shares with us. So rest assured, we can trust him because we know who he trusts. So when Peter... Closes his letter with these words from Peter, from verse Peter 5, chapter or verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's right. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your servant, Peter. We pray that um, the letter he wrote many, many years ago, inspired and crafted um, through the work of your Holy Spirit, would be used uh, in these next weeks to shape our hearts and to shift our gaze um, to our beautiful Savior. Lord, would our gaze uh, never leave him, um, and, Father, in our moments of doubt and fear and mistrust and not knowingness and tiredness and weakness, would, be, would we be reminded um, that even Peter, your servant, walked these same roads? And would we be reminded that it is not our commitment to you um, that uh, saves our souls? It is your commitment to us. Um, I pray that you would do a mighty work and um, engage our hearts um, over the next weeks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.